Book Four, Chapter Three of the Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Book Four, Chapter Three: The Dead Spy. Throughout this furious and rapid passage, Lawless had looked on helplessly, and even when all was over and dick already re-arisen to his feet was listening with the most passionate attention to the distant bustle in the lower stories of the house the old outlaw was still wavering on his legs like a shrub in a breeze of wind and still stupidly staring on the face of the dead man it is well said dick at length they have not heard us praise the saints but now what shall i do with this poor spy at least I will take my tassel from his wallet. So saying, Dick opened the wallet. Within he found a few pieces of money, the tassel, and a letter addressed to Lord Wensleydale, and sealed with my Lord Shoreby's seal. The name awoke Dick's recollections, and he instantly broke the wax and read the contents of the letter. It was short, but to Dick's delight, it gave evident proof that Lord Shoreby was treacherously corresponding with the house of York. The young fellow usually carried his inkhorn and implements about him, and so now, bending a knee beside the body of the dead spy, he was able to write these words upon a corner of the paper. My Lord Shoreby, ye that writ the letter, what ye, why your man is dead, but let me read you, marry not, John Amendall. He laid this paper on the breast of the corpse, and then Lawless, who had been looking on upon these manoeuvres with some flickering returns of intelligence, suddenly drew a black arrow from below his robe, and wherewith pinned the paper in its place. The sight of this respect, or as it almost seemed, cruelty to the dead, drew a cry of horror from young Shelton, but the old outlaw only laughed. "'Nay, I will have the credit for mine order,' he hiccuped. "'My jolly boys must have the credit on it.' the credit brother and then shutting his eyes tight and opening his mouth like a precentor he began to thunder in a formidable voice if ye should drink the clary wine peace sot cried dick and thrust him hard against the wall in two words if so be that such a man can understand me who hath more wine than wit in him in two words and a mary's name be gone out of this house where, if ye continue to abide, ye will not only hang yourself, but me also. Faith, then, up foot, beware, or by the mass, I may forget that I am in some sort your captain, and in some sort your debtor. Go. The sham monk was now, in some degree, recovering the use of his intelligence, and the ring in Dick's voice, and the glitter in Dick's eye, stamped home the meaning of his words. By the mass, cried Lawless, and I be not wanted, I can go. And he turned tipsily along the corridor and proceeded to flounder downstairs, lurching against the wall. So soon as he was out of sight, Dick returned to his hiding place, resolutely fixed to see the matter out. Wisdom indeed moved him to be gone, but love and curiosity were stronger. Time passed slowly for the young man, bolt upright behind the arras, the fire in the room began to die down, and the lamp to burn low and to smoke. 
and still there was no word of the return of any one to these upper quarters of the house still the faint hum and chatter of the supper party sounded from far below and still under the thick fall of the snow shoreby town lay silent upon every side at length however feet and voices began to draw near upon the stair and presently after several of sir daniel's guests arrived upon the landing and turning down the corridor beheld the torn arras and the body of the spy some ran forward and some back and altogether began to cry aloud at the sound of their cries guests men-at-arms ladies servants and in a word all the inhabitants of that great house came flying from every direction and began to join their voices to the tumult soon a way was cleared and sir daniel came forth in person followed by the bridegroom of the morrow my lord shoreby my lord said sir daniel have i not told you of this knave black arrow to the proof behold it there it stands and by the root my gossip in a man of yours or one that stole your colours in good sooth it was a man of mine replied lord shoreby hanging back i would i had more such he was keen as a beagle and secret as a mole i gossip truly asked sir daniel keenly and what came he smelling up so many stairs in my poor mansion but will he smell no more and please you sir daniel said one here is a paper written upon with some matter pinned upon his breast give it me arrow and all said the knight and when he had taken into his hand the shaft he continued for some time to gaze upon it in a sullen musing ay he said addressing lord shoreby here is a hate that followeth hard and close upon my heels this black stick or its just likeness shall yet bring me down and gossip suffer a plain knight to counsel you and if these hounds begin to wind you flee tis like a sickness it still hangeth hangeth upon the limbs but let us see what they have written it is as i thought my lord ye are marked like an old oak by the woodman to-morrow or next day by will come with the axe but what wrote ye in a letter lord shoreby snatched the paper from the arrow read it crumpled it between his hands and overcoming the reluctance which had hitherto withheld him from approaching threw himself on his knees beside the body and eagerly groped in the wallet he rose to his feet with a somewhat unsettled countenance gossip he said i have indeed lost a letter here that much imported and could i lay my hand upon the knave that took it he should incontinently grace a halter but let us first of all secure the issues of the house here is enough harm already by st george sentinels were posted close around the house and garden a sentinel on every landing of the stair a whole troop in the main entrance hall and yet another about the bonfire in the shed sir daniel's followers were supplemented by lord shoreby's there was thus no lack of men or weapons to make the house secure or to entrap a lurking enemy should one be there meanwhile the body of the spy was carried out through the falling snow and deposited in the abbey church it was not until these dispositions had been taken and all had returned to a decorous silence that the two girls drew richard shelton from his place of concealment and made a full report to him of what had passed 
he upon his side recounted the visit of the spy his dangerous discovery and speedy end joanna leaned back very faint against the curtained wall it will avail but little she said i shall be wed to-morrow in the morning after all what cried her friend and here is our paladin that driveth lions like mice ye have little faith of a surety but come friend lion-driver give us some comfort speak and let us hear bold counsels dick was confounded to be thus outfaced with his own exaggerated words but though he coloured he still spoke stoutly truly said he we are in straits yet could i but win out of this house for half an hour i do honestly tell myself that all might still go well and for the marriage it should be prevented and for the lions mimicked the girl they shall be driven i crave your excuse said dick i speak not now in any boasting humour but rather as one inquiring after help or counsel for if i get not forth of this house through these sentinels i can do less than not take me i pray you rightly why said ye he was rustic joan the girl inquired i warrant he hath a tongue in his head ready soft and bold is his speech at pleasure what would ye more nay sighed joanna with a smile they have changed me my friend dick tis sure enough when i beheld him he was rough indeed but it matters little there is no help for my hard cause and i must still be lady shoreby nay then said dick i will even make the adventure a friar is not much regarded and if i found a good fairy to lead me up i may find another belike to carry me down how call they the name of this spy rutter said the young lady and an excellent good name to call him by but how mean ye lion-driver what is in your mind to do to offer boldly to go forth returned dick and if any stop me to keep an unchanged countenance and say i go to pray for rudder they will be praying over his poor clay even now the device is somewhat simple replied the girl yet it may hold nay said young shelton it is no device but mere boldness which serveth often better in great straits ye say true she said well go a mary's name and may heaven speed you ye leave here a poor maid that loves you entirely and another that is most heartily your friend be wary for their sakes and make not shipwreck of your safety ay added joanna go dick ye run no more peril whether ye go or stay go ye take my heart with you the saints defend you dick passed the first sentry with so assured a countenance that the fellow merely fidgeted and stared but at the second landing the man carried his spear across and bade him name his business. Pax Bobiscum, answered Dick, I go to pray over the body of this poor rudder. Like enough, returned the sentry, but to go alone is not permitted you. He leaned over the oaken balusters and whistled shrill. One cometh, he cried, and then motioned Dick to pass. At the foot of the stairs he found the guard afoot and awaiting his arrival and when he had once more repeated his story the commander of the post ordered four men out to accompany him to the church let him not slip my lads he said bring him to sir oliver on your lives the door was then opened one of the men took dick by either arm another marched ahead with a link and the fourth 
with bent bow and the arrow on the string, brought up the rear. In this order they proceeded through the garden, under the thick darkness of the night and the scattering snow, and drew near to the dimly illuminated windows of the abbey church. At the western portal a picket of archers stood, taking what shelter they could find in the hollow of the arched doorways, and all powdered with the snow, and it was not until Dick's conductors had exchanged a word with these that they were suffered to pass forth and enter the nave of the sacred edifice. The church was doubtfully lighted by the tapers upon the great altar, and by a lamp or two that swung from the arched roof before the private chapels of illustrious families. In the midst of the choir the dead spy lay, his limbs piously composed upon a bier. A hurried mutter of prayers sounded along the arches. Cowled figures knelt in the stalls of the choir, and on the steps of the high altar a priest in pontifical vestments celebrated mass. Upon this fresh entrance one of the cowled figures arose, and, coming down the steps which elevated the level of the choir above that of the nave, demanded from the leader of the four men what business brought him to the church. Out of respect for the service and the dead, they spoke in guarded tones, but the echoes of that huge empty building caught up their words, and hollowly repeated and repeated them along the aisles. A monk, returned Sir Oliver, for he it was, when he had heard the report of the archer. My brother, I looked not for your coming, he added, turning to young Shelton. In all civility, who are ye, and at whose instance do ye join your supplication to ours? Dick, keeping his cowl about his face, signed to Oliver to move a pace or two aside from the archers, and, so soon as the priest had done so, I cannot hope to deceive you, sir, he said. My life is in your hands. Sir Oliver violently started. His stout cheeks grew pale, and for a space he was silent. Richard, he said, what brings you here? I know not, but I much misdoubt it to be evil. Nevertheless, for the kindness that was, I would not willingly deliver you to harm. Ye shall sit all night beside me in the stalls. Ye shall sit there till my lord of Shoreby be married, and the party gone safe home. And if all goeth well, and ye have planned no evil, in the end ye shall go whither ye will. But if your purpose be bloody, it shall return upon your head. Amen. And the priest devoutly crossed himself, and turned and loaded to the altar. With that he spoke a few words more to the soldiers, and taking Dick by the hand, led him up to the choir, and placed him in the stall beside his own, where, for mere decency, the lad had instantly to kneel, and appear to be busy with his devotions. His mind and his eyes, however, were continually wandering. Three of the soldiers, he observed, instead of returning to the house, had got them quietly into a point of vantage in the aisle, and he could not doubt that they had done so by Sir Oliver's command. Here, then, he was trapped. Here he must spend the night, in the ghostly glimmer and shadow of the church, and looking on the pale face of him he slew. And here, in the morning, he must see his sweetheart married to another man before his eyes. But for all that, he obtained a command upon his mind, and built himself up in patience to await the issue. End of Book 4, Chapter 3